As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome, everyone, to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Gary Schneeberger, the co-host of the show and the communications director for Crucible Leadership. And you have happened upon, you've clicked play on a podcast that deals in what we call crucible experiences. And those are the things that happen in life. Sometimes they happen to you. Sometimes there are things that, um, for whatever reason, have been caused in your life. And they are painful experiences. They are experiences that can change the trajectory of your life, can make you sometimes feel like you just don't want to get out of bed, can make you feel sometimes like you want to bury your head in the sand. But we talk about those experiences, not so we can wallow in them or not so we can even celebrate them per se. We talk about them to offer hope and healing that there's another side to those experiences. And we interview guests like the guests that we're going to interview today who have moved beyond those crucibles, hence the title of our show, to offer you insight from their experience of how you can do the same thing. And uh, with me, as always, thankfully, is the architect of Crucible Leadership and the host of the podcast, Warwick Fairfax. Warwick, it's good to be together again. Absolutely, Gary. Great to be here. So the guest I indicated we were going to be speaking with today is Kathleen Merkel. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Kathleen before we start asking her some questions. As a thought leader in the mindset and self-leadership space, Kathleen supports high-achieving but worn-out women create a more content and balanced life without sacrificing their hard-earned success. Kathleen focuses on women who lost their sense of purpose, who feel they're running in a hamster wheel trying to please everyone but themselves. She helps you to turn your careers, your social connections, and personal life around so that you will start feeling fulfilled and excited again about the days to come. With over 15 years of experience in retail, media, and broadcasting, engineering, and property investment, geez, that's an impressive resume. Uh, Kathleen has not only experienced the challenges and opportunities of being a female leader herself, she's also been leading and supporting various leadership development initiatives within large, complex, multinational matrix organizations. I feel very non-qualified to be here. Only by deeply experiencing her very personal life challenges, as she says, hitting a wall experiences, has Kathleen been able to redefine her own purpose deciding to bring ease and content 
to as many women as possible on the planet. And the best part about that whole bio I just read is she ended it with an exclamation point. She's excited about what she does. She's excited about how she's bounced back from her crucible. And I'm looking forward to the conversation we're going to have, Warwick. Uh, well, thanks, Gary and Kathleen. Welcome. Uh, wonderful to have you. Um, I'd love to just start hearing a bit about your story as that led up to your crucible experience. But tell us a bit about Kathleen Merkel and your background, who you are and how that led to your crucible. Sure. So first of all, thank you for having me and thank you for a uh, very impressive introduction. It sounded a bit bigger than I still feel about it. So thanks, Gary. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well, I am, I am German-born. I was born in East Germany, actually, in the 80s, in the early 80s. And I never really realized how much my childhood and the way I was raised has characterized um, my whole path. I never realized it until maybe five, six years ago. And I had a very loving kind of childhood. I had fantastic parents, but they were very young when they had my sister and me. They were um, 90 when they had my sister. And then three years later, I was born. And they were quite overwhelmed with us, I would say, uh, being so young. But it was quite normal at the same time for Eastern German times. And what was also quite normal for the communist part of Germany was to be raised in the sense of be strong, show up uh, at your best. So I still remember that my parents took us to a restaurant and my mom would literally sit down with us before we go how we should behave. And I was three years old and not to make any noise and not to do that and not to do X and not to do Y. It was really, really strict. And it was all about how are we being perceived it was not about just enjoy your childhood, be child. You are being noisy from time to time. And that was kind of the characteristic of my whole childhood. Loving, but very, very strict. Very, this is what you should do. This is what I want you to do. And kind of in reflection, restricted me understanding who I really was. Because imagine you grow up that way. Then you go to school. Then you have a constant competition with your sister who is better at school. Then you have this constant expectation setting of this is how you need to deliver at school. And when you come home from school, this is what I want you to do at home because we are working women. And so you have to do housework as well and do it perfectly. And there were just expectations all the time. I never felt fully enough. And I constantly felt I need to ask for acknowledgement, for recognition. And um, it caused a lot of trouble at home. It caused me to become a real rebel. I was just really kind of becoming quite an angry child and frustrated child, but more, I kind of nurtured myself with this anger. I didn't necessarily let it out. And I couldn't wait for me to leave home. And I remember when I was 15, I'm saying to, I was saying to my mom, when I'm 16, can I go to England and uh, become an au pair? And she literally stood in front of me crying and she was like, you cannot do this and you will never leave us. And this is not acceptable. So it was always about, us, 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 but never about this is your path. And I don't blame them. I understand now that this was the culture. This was how my parents were raised as well. And, and it's okay for me now. But it made me the person I was years ago, in particular in my early 20s, when I started my career. And I noticed about myself that I was someone who was very black and white, Someone who is very right or wrong. This is my way. This is how it should be. 
someone who was constantly just running towards success. And success, I didn't even know how to define it. Success was literally, you have a great job, you are independent, and you can put some money to the side so that at some point you can buy a house or whatever it is. So I was literally just living along the lines of this life and this definition of success, not quite understanding what I missed out on just to dive into different experiences. You know, in Australia, I mean, I just love that people Hmm. go for a gap year after school, first of all, and experience the world a little bit. And then we come back and then we decide what we're going to do. And I would have loved to do that, but I didn't because I was just not the person who knew she could do it and that I really wanted it. I thought, no, let's go to safe path. That's what my parents told me. And that really kind of, yeah, built my path up until I would say my early 30s, if not, yeah, early 30s, 100% that I was that way. I remember that I became really, really brave um, when in my mid 20s, I was in a very good role. I was in my first manager roles, looking after two big retail department stores, um, partnering some senior managers there, all of these things. But at some point, a few things around me happened. First of all, I had a brilliant circle of friends and a lot of them were traveling or living abroad and just testing it. And I had like these, ah, this moment of I need to go as well. And I just felt it inside for years and years that I had to do it. The second thing was my relationship at this point of time, which was significant for me, broke down. And the third one was that the company changed leadership, changed the culture, um, not in the better way. And at some point, I was indirectly made redundant. So basically, they chose a path to transfer me to a different location I would never go to in order to um, present to me the choice of do you want to stay or do you want to leave, which really hit me, right? You have always been on a success path. You have achieved. And suddenly, Mm. in your 20s, you sit down Mm. and you're like, what's going on right now? This is a massive failure. I can't deal with this. And that was really tough for me. And it took me a few weeks to cry, to feel sorry for myself, to talk to people, all of these things of grieving you go through in certain situations of loss. And it was for me a loss of the current life as I had lived it. But then it didn't take me long to follow my gut and to say, well, this is also an opportunity. And I'm a huge believer that if a door closes, another door is going to open. You just don't know yet what that door is going to be. And I opened the door of traveling. So I took my backpack and I traveled South Africa and I traveled um, Ireland in particular. I've always had a love for the UK and Ireland. And I went onto this bus tour and it still makes me smile so much because I went on my own. But on this bus tour, obviously, I met so many people and a lot of your People were there, loads of Australians, Kiwis, some Americans. (laughs) Uh, I was definitely the only German there. (laughs) And that was just absolutely life-changing because I was surrounded by people who lived their lives, who just embraced every day. And don't get me wrong, there was a lot of alcohol involved in those weeks as well. But but, um, we had so much fun together. And the most important thing was I suddenly could let loose. I could let my hair down because people were just people with each other. We accepted each other for who we were. There were no expectations of how you should be. And quite a few of the people and 
still I have a lot of friends from that bus tour now who I visit regularly. It's just brilliant. But a lot of the people said to me, you know, you've got to do what you really want to do. And you are far too young to get stuck into a life that was designed by other people for you. And that really stuck with me. I mean, that's an interesting question. I want to cycle back to growing up because that comment, you've got to do what you want to do. It's like, that must have been a very alien concept. What do you mean I have choice? I don't understand that word. Um, and, you know, in a different way, I can relate growing up in a family business. But so you mentioned growing up in East Germany, there was, I sound like two different influences. Your parents were obviously very strict, had very high expectations. I mean, telling a, a young child three years old, you know, you've got to be on your best behavior. I mean, they're three-year-olds. Come on, yeah. really? I mean, you know, let a kid be a kid, at least at that age. But how much of the, the things that influenced you that uh, helped you form who you were on that high achievement track, how much was the East German communist mindset? How much was your parents? Because it sounds like your parents also, I mean, how much was each influencing you, if that makes sense? So my parents have been influencing me up until a certain point, I would say until I left Germany or just a year before mm-hmm. when I have were mm-hmm. in this transition to change, because I don't think I would have achieved and I would have been as ambitious as I was and still am without the way my parents raised me, you mm-hmm. know, to look forward, to make sure you are safe. They have never said you need to be a millionaire or anything like that, quite the contrary, but they always wanted me to be safe basically. And that means you have to have a secure job and so on and so forth. So I think that made me really successful. Also, they gave me a lot of values, right? Reliability, honesty, trust, Hmm. community, which is really important to me, i.e. to really stick together. Um, Particularly on my dad's side, that's something that's very important to support each other, to be there for each other, regardless as to whether we go through good times or bad Hmm. times. The value I discovered for myself, and that's my strongest value still, is freedom. Hmm. And given that my parents grew up, right, in in Eastern Germany, when the war was up, it was pretty great. They weren't allowed to travel. My mom was allowed to travel to our Western family from time to time. But we as a family had to stay behind because the state would never let us go as a whole family. So it was always restricted. We were never allowed to go on nice holidays and so on. So they didn't know anything else but this restricted life. And they probably grew up with fear. I mean, at least in the West, you hear about the East German police, the Stasi, I think they were called. I mean, it's like, even though if you're a regular person, why would they care about you? But probably just the fear of what might happen or to friends and whispers and rumors. There was probably, did you feel there was somewhat of a, a fearful mindset that, yes, be safe, work hard, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like the, the opposite of freedom. It was just, I don't know how you would describe, how would you describe that kind of mentality that your parents especially grew up with and influenced you? So it's very different because my mom actually grew up in a very Western way. My grandpa was always in business. He owned his own business and they had a lot of family in the West. So there was always this Western mentality. Mm. And she was the one who was allowed to travel from time to time to the family. My dad, however, he was spied on by the Stasi. We found out um, by reading files afterwards and listening to the tapes Mm. that were recorded about our family. And he was spied on by his best friend who later hung himself. So there were some really challenging stories in the whole family. 
And my dad was really restricted and he was threatened by the Stasi because he was very successful in sports and he was even considered for the Olympic team. Mm. So therefore, wow. they obviously wanted to make sure that he would never go with my mom to the West and all of these things. Um, it was very, very restricted. So what I've never experienced, however, was fear necessarily. I don't know if they mm -hmm. simply hadn't shown it or if they just didn't have it. Mm -hmm. But what I mm -hmm. notice and still notice is a very, very restricted mindset. So the best example is when I decided to leave Germany and um, I moved to the UK, I gave up the flat and my dad helped me um, renovating the mm -hmm. flat to hand it over to the next tenant. Uh, he said to me, I have absolutely no idea how you're doing this. You just take challenges and you go with the flow and you go to the next stage in your life and take opportunities. And he still says to me, chokingly from time to time, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder which family you are really from because I'm just so <laughs> different <laughs> in my approach. And that's kind of... And that's, you would understand this, but many listeners wouldn't just because the wall came down in, in 89. And I mean, that was an incredible time. I mean, it's a long time ago. I remember at the time I had an uh, internship, if you will, at a newspaper. It was actually in Chicago. And I was, you know, in some editorial meetings. And every week it was like, well, you know, Poland looks like something's happening there. And Czechoslovakia and Hungary. It was just incredible. It's just like, how is this possible? It seemed like a miracle at the time. But yeah. uh, And then there was, gosh, you know, German unification. Is that going to happen? Because both East and West has to approve that. And some of the West were like, do we want our poor Eastern cousins coming? Because all of the money will be sucked into the East. And, you know, people are human. Yeah. You know, I get that. You know, all of that stuff. But that that mentality of that a lot of East Germans grew up with, that wouldn't have just ended in 89. No. You can't change the way you think overnight. Yeah. I'm sure it took years to say, is it okay to think for ourselves? But So that, that had you on a certain mindset, which you've talked about success and achievement, which is great, but it felt like freedom wasn't a concept that evolved later. So talk about how you're on this track of success and achievement, but then you've had a couple of challenges. You mentioned one, um, I guess you weren't five, but they kind of almost gave you an offer that, you know, that you kind of really did want to refuse. It was like, you know, in some backwater and, you know, if you had any self-respect, you wouldn't take it. But talk about how your life changed from the achievement, be responsible to, yeah, be achieve and be responsible, but a bit of freedom. Talk about how that shifted with some of those crucible experiences. So crucible experiences always make me think. As uh, Gary said before, and I hit a wall, and I hit a wall plenty of times in my life. Some were bigger and some were smaller. And um, the big walls make me think hugely, and they make me reflect, and they make me step back. And most importantly, what I realize in those situations are is the wisdom I have around me. So the biggest influence for me are the people around me. So in, in those times um, that I mentioned before I moved to, U to the UK, this one significant relationship I was in, um, he played a huge role in slowly but surely shifting my mindset towards I can make my own choices. And I started doing mm. more of that. The friends I was referring to who lived abroad, they certainly were an eye-opener for me. And I started traveling more, um, not necessarily always for weeks or months, but um just short travels. I always met fantastic people. And I don't know how it happens. They are still a part of my life. They 
contributed to the significant change. And they were eye-opening for me. I had just great conversations about what the world has got to offer. And I became more and more um, curious. So that is one part of him. The other part that happens to me is when I step back and I think about what was just happening, I in particular think about what was going on for me. And that's also what I do with my clients to help them reflect on what's happening in your life right now, not just in your career, for example. So what is happening for me? How am I feeling? What does not make me happy? Because often those situations show me, hey, what are you doing here? And really then to reflect on, okay, what is it I really want to do? And to trust myself that I can make changes happen. And I'm someone who absolutely believes you can be in your 80s and 90s, you can still make changes happen to live your, your most content life. So I moved obviously to the UK. And again, I was surrounded just by brilliant people and people who gave me very open feedback. And I remember in my second role in the UK, in a second organization, I was a manager at this time, but fairly senior manager working with quite some senior stakeholders as well. And I remember that my manager at the time gave me blunt feedback. She was far more German than I was on a very, <laughs> very regular basis. And this feedback included things like um, uh, some people don't dare to approach you, right? And I was really like, that's not what I want from anyone. That's, how can that be? And she said, well, you can come across quite strong, quite powerful. You have strong opinions and it can be highly intimidating. So I realized I was, you know, creating my life. I was a strong, independent woman. I had experience in different organizations. So therefore I was absolutely fine sharing those opinions, but my style was quite tough to do for people who were not German, to be quite frank, because right. I was really so direct all the time. And I was so black and white and all of these things that put people off. So plus the second piece was that um, throughout my childhood, and I said to you before, and I fed myself with anger and with frustration and, and a lot of sadness as well. When you constantly grave for acknowledgement, for recognition, for a parent saying, I'm just proud of you regardless, which I haven't experienced until I was 23, I think. You start mm. building a wall. I certainly did. And I built a massive wall around me. And that wall was, I didn't really show who I was, who I really was, the real Kathy. I didn't necessarily, I, or I had a strong divide between professional me and personal me. So at work, I'm strong and blah, 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 and very professional and so on. And that really got in my way in particular in terms of leadership. So it doesn't mean that I wasn't successful. It doesn't mean that people didn't like work with me, but there were also people who said, no, I really don't like that. And I'm not enjoying working with you. And I sometimes I'm a bit scared. This is a good time, I think, to bring up something. You and I talked before we began this recording, Kathleen, just like a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that you said to me when we were talking about having you on the show was uh, you expressed a little bit of surprise, uh, especially when I told you about Warwick's story, right? He did the takeover of the, the family media dynasty in the family for 150 years, founded by his great-great-grandfather. The takeover failed, lost $2.25 billion, I always like to say, with a B. And your response to that was feeling like, wow, why would you want me on the show? Yes. And what you just described, though, 
that emotion that you felt, the wall that you felt around you, some the things that you've been talking about. I want listeners to focus on that because that's why you're on the show. We wanted you because your experience, it's not so much about the details of your crucibles. Our, you know, whose crucible, it's not sort of a game of who has the worst crucible. It's the emotions attached to them. And there are so many people listening right now who've had crucibles like yours, who have not even failed at a job and been fired, but basically been made redundant been sort of pushed aside for reasons they don't quite understand. There have been people who've been confronted with things about their performance or things about their personality that may be hard to take. Those kinds of emotions are the very things that our listeners are going through and your response to them are the very kinds of things that will help them get over that. I remember one of the things that that you said about pursuing the jobs that you were pursuing and success wasn't everything that you thought it was. Growing up in the environment that you grew up, success was a great goal. You aimed at it because it was not something that was easily achieved in communist Germany. But when you achieved it, and I think a lot of our listeners are there, and I think a lot of your clients are there. You reached for the brass ring and in some sense found that it was kind of lead. Is that fair? Yeah, 100%. And I, I'm really glad that you highlight the emotions because that is for me the most important piece of those moments as well. The emotions I realized in that moment and what I did with them. And every crucible moment, for me, every wall brought that out of me and dismantled that wall. But I couldn't have done it alone. And that is the second piece I'm focusing on with my people now and with my clients. I call them my people. So, um, <laughs> so I, just, I just love working with them and really being their support mechanism along their ways. But it is building those communities and realizing when you have some great inspirations around you and to really cherish those. But in, in this moment, I particularly spoke about um, when my boss at this time gave me feedback, I literally had the wall. I thought about the expectations that other people had on me, how I should behave again. So something that came back from my childhood, how I should present myself in order for those people to feel more comfortable with me, being still on a success path. Yeah, this is what you need to deliver. And trying really to um, constantly keep everything in check and being a great leader. So that was big wall number two that hit me then. I mean, what's interesting to me is uh, there's a couple challenges here. One is when your boss says, you know, you're driven, you're successful, that's great, but you kind of put people off with the directness and the hard yeah. charging. And this is a woman boss, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So it wasn't like, oh, she doesn't get it. It's like, okay, well, I don't really have that line I can use because, you know, she's where I am in a sense. And then it's like, gosh, I've failed, right? I haven't been what I need to be. I have fallen short of the mark. Um, I need to work harder. I need to be more successful. I yes. need to work harder at, you know, seeming get the job done, but in a way that helps people embrace it. Because if people don't embrace it, stuff doesn't get done, numbers fall, I'm not successful. So, But there's the broader one in which you came to see life isn't all about just achievement, monetary success, career, position, maybe with some of the influences on trips in Ireland and UK and elsewhere and community, you began to see, okay, life is more than just about the brass ring and success. You can be successful 
and I think you've said elsewhere, have good health, friends, travel, family. So how did that shift for you? Because you were on that, I think you used the word hamster wheel of success. How did you kind of, as we say, both and, right? Be successful and actually enjoy life. You know, because it's easy to be successful and really be miserable too. Oh, 100%. And I was. I was. It's exactly what you said. You spoke from my soul, basically. You know, this this way of, I need to work harder now because I need to meet those expectations as well. That was exactly it. And I was in the hamster wheel and I didn't see anymore what was going on in the left and right. I was stuck, so to say. After work, I would go out with friends just to kind of get some distraction. But that was it. I didn't live healthy. I, I didn't really look after myself. I was just focused on delivering. And it literally hit me. Um, I was close to a burnout. So I was really exhausted. I found myself um, uh, not being able to sleep anymore for months and months. And therefore, I didn't necessarily deliver um, in my best way. Um, other people would still have said to me, you still go far beyond the 100%, but it wasn't enough for me. So constantly beating myself up, having very um, toxic relationships, all of these things. And I really hit that wall. And I remember that I asked my boss as to whether I can take some time off. She obviously, she said to me, you need to go home and sleep. You need to take distance from whatever is going on here. And uh, she approved it and I went traveling again. So I'm not saying, by the way, to your listeners, traveling is the solution for everything. It's nice to have. <laughs> it's a nice to have. And I'm very, very grateful for my experiences. Um, but solo travels help me reflect differently. They help me to disconnect. So whatever the way for you is to disconnect from that situation, um, make most of it. And I went to Indonesia. In particular, um, I spent quite a bit of time in Bali. And basically, mm-hmm. I Googled solo yoga holidays for women because I wanted to be safe. I wanted to become healthy again, Mm -hmm. feel good about myself and disconnect. And I found this place that I visited since four times, I think, to get a top up because it's just so beautiful. And what I have experienced was um, I learned how to look after myself, but I only learned to do that because other people started looking after myself there. The, The people there are just devoted to pay attention to you and to make sure you have the best time of your life. I started nourishing my body and my soul again. I had um, live coaching sessions. I had nutrition sessions, uh, Ayurvedic. That sounded very German, Ayurvedic. Um, Food and (laughs) massages and all of these things. And I had a lot of meditation sessions and yoga. But the most important thing was I was surrounded by kindness, unconditional kindness, Mm. which I haven't really received a lot or I didn't quite know what that was. And I started simply being myself. And I remember when I left after three and a half weeks there, one of the guests said to me, my goodness, it's beautiful to see the real you. And I was literally standing there in tears because I could feel those walls were gone. I was just feeling so amazing about myself. So did you feel like in that moment that for the first time you met Kathleen Merkel, that you you didn't really know who she was? Like, So this is who I am. Who knew? Maybe I can smile. Yes. Maybe I can forgive myself if I make a mistake. It's like, exactly. That must have been a strange experience to meet yourself in a sense, the real you for the first time. It was strange and beautiful. I actually got goosebumps listening to you describing me. It's, <laughs> it was just absolutely stunning. And I was crying because I was just so full of gratitude and joy about it. It felt 
suddenly it felt like a rock fell off my shoulders and it felt light and easy and life started feeling just super easy. And I remember coming back and I went back to my job and there were two things that had completely changed. No, three actually. The first one was I was the me that I rediscovered there and I attracted people and I don't mean now attraction in, in a romantic way, but mm -hmm. people were more drawn to me, approaching me. And some of them said, who are you who knew me before and who were good <laughs> friends of me, uh, of mine? They took the mickey out of me a bit and they noticed that uh, there was a difference. And the second thing was I was uh, completely focused on what's right for me. What do I really want from life? And that's when my coaching education started. And so when I decided to become a qualified coach and started this journey then. And the third one was that the pressure was off. I mm. approached the days with kindness, with openness and with ease. And I still did a good job. But because the way I went about it, and that is for me pure leadership that comes from within, that comes from a position where you are at ease with yourself, where you are good to other people, and where you have empathy and pure listening skills, and you can just be present with others. Suddenly, work turned out to be far more successful because I could have different levels of conversations. I could challenge differently. And I realized it's not about having a massive to-do list to work on. It's about how you are with other people and deliver with those people on the bigger goals. It's interesting. You've said some profound things I want the listeners to hear. I mean, just part of it was this voyage of self-discovery, just the incredible gift to have a community that loves and cares for you unconditionally. You don't have to do anything to earn their love or their friendship. Just being who you are is enough. And if you make mistakes, we're all human. Sometimes we're impatient, say a crossword, and it's part of being human. It's like, it's okay. They forgive you and you forgive them. And it's, that is such a freeing thing, a community that just loves you for who you are. And the second thing I think you said was amazing is you're so focused on success, but by focusing less on the outcomes, caring for those around you, still having targets and goals you want to achieve but by caring for those around you who knew you became even more successful by letting go you soared even higher i mean it's truly remarkable yeah i mean i'd love i want to switch gears here and talk about what you're doing now but there was a couple of epiphanies if you will a couple of turning points right a community that loves you unconditionally and by letting go sort of open hands empathizing with people, you became more successful. I mean, do you reflect back and say that that was some remarkable learning that you went through, some remarkable growth? Yeah. You know, sometimes I still have situations when old Kathy and new Kathy come together and, <laughs> and I fall into old habits. But what's really lovely now is I remember that letting go is the key. And mm -hmm. when I am kind of wound up about something or I try to put too much pressure on something, the moment is really beautiful when I'm able to step back because I'm now um, almost, I have a trigger. I realize inside of me when the moment has come. And I wait for a few days and then things fall into place. It's just absolutely mm -hmm. brilliant. And it's got a lot to do with your mindset and obviously your self-belief and also realizing, hey, not everything necessarily goes in the direction that you had planned, right? But that's life and that's discovery as well. So yeah, 100% loads of epiphany moments that still accompany me every day. 
So talk a bit about what you're doing now, because what's so exciting to me is often in crucibles, we go through something and we want to help others, fellow travelers, if you will, and which is a good metaphor for you <laughs> since you love traveling. And yes. I get it. I uh, kind of like traveling a bit myself. But, um, you know, I love the way that you're using what you've been through to help others and in particular women business leaders, because that's like a, you understand that mindset of wanting to achieve and it's still not easy for women business leaders even in the 21st century a lot of barriers and just preconceptions and yes be successful but yet be whole human beings with health and family and friends and there's probably a lot of your people as you put it your clients who you talk about and it's like well how do you do that Kathleen I mean I, I can't if I back off it's much harder for me than the guys I work with, you know, I'm sure that you will hear that. And I'm sure that's true. So I can't afford to back off. If I back off for a minute, I'm off the track. When I'm off the track, you're permanently off track. I'll never be VP, senior VP, CEO, whatever. So when you work with these folks, how do you get them to change their mindset and be, well, for you, it's the real Kathleen. For them, it might be the real Mary, the real whoever it is. How do you get them to change the mindset that you can be successful, but yet be whole. And um, that's a journey for everyone. So first of all, for me, it's important that I don't get them to change their minds that they want to do that. So they come to me usually when they are at their own breaking point. So they realize something is completely off here right now. And one of my clients, I'm not going to use any names, obviously, but she came to me and she said, my whole life feels completely off. I gain more and more weight. I feel really uncomfortable in my own skin. I have hardly any time for my kids. I'm working 24 seven and actually I don't even love the job. But again, this is the habit we moved ourselves into, right? We run, we run, run, and we want to be successful at work because that gives us the, the quickest acknowledgement and reward. So therefore we keep doing that. And what we started with is really to reflect upon the whole life and to say, okay, what are the areas that you feel really passionate about that work really well for you and that you just that rock your boat, basically. But we also look at the areas where people or those women in particular are missing out. And they say, this is not enough for me. I'm not putting enough effort into it, or I've kind of totally forgotten about it. And then really highlight the whole person here. So that's something really important. I work with female leaders across industries and who run their own businesses or who work in organizations. And all of me, all of them usually come to me with, I need to do something about my career. And as soon as we look at the whole life, because they're one person, and not someone, as I described it before, and who is different at work and different in their uh, personal lives, then they realize, oh, there's more to it than my career. I lost purpose in my life and I lost connection with myself. So that is number one. Number two is also about that we remember a lot, um, who are you at your best? When did you enjoy yourself the most? So if you were your best friend, basically, you know, what, what have you experienced at this time? And then I have massive aha moments in terms of, oh, wow, that's years ago. What was present in this time, right? What, um, what was different about your life? And then slowly but surely build a plan to say, okay, how can we get there again with the current circumstances? <clears throat> what we do along the way is we talk a lot about mindset, about creating healthy habits. We talk a lot about boundaries, 
So something that I have never understood until a few years ago um, that I'm now helping my uh, clients with is to set healthy boundaries step by step. I'm not saying to a woman who works 16 hours a day and who really struggles to switch off, now please work seven and a half hours a day. It's completely unrealistic. So we need to start somewhere and then slowly but surely kind of help them to step back from I'm only at work. And that we can only do by exploring, obviously, the support network around them and to say, okay, who can help? Or is everything really as necessary and important as it seems to be? Where does this need for delivering in this area come from? So needs are being explored and so on. And we are looking into the future. We build a really compelling vision. And that's the most important thing. Where are we heading towards? Who is that person that I want to be? And along that path, there are loads of tears and there is a lot of excitement at the same time because I'm helping now these women to dismantle the wall and to really break it down. And I have cried a lot and those tears were so healing and helpful and it happens uh, to, to those women as well. What is needed, however, is a lot of kindness. So uh, my clients often say to me, my goodness, you're really direct and challenging, but you do it in such a kind and empathetic way. So the kindness I received, mm. I 100% give back. And I want them to feel non-judged because they are their biggest judges. So I don't want to give or add anything to it. And I want to make them feel at ease. So the personality and the way I approach this is really important. And I do that. And that's the last piece. One-to-one, -one, but I love working groups. So bringing different women from different backgrounds together and work with them as a community and build the community so that they know, A, I'm not alone. And B, I can get support literally by just looking around me and opening up more and talking about it. It's okay. You know, what? as you're talking, there's so much wisdom that you're communicating. I always feel like your role is you're an advocate for these women leaders. You were there to try and help them be who they want to be. We often live our lives based on shoulds. Mm. I should do this, I should do that. But it's like, well, but what do you want to do? Where were you most joyful in life? And it's like, well, no, but I'm not allowed to be joyful. That's wrong, okay? It's about duty, it's about obligation, it's about performance. That's what it's which you obviously grew up in, in in one sense, and helping them say it's okay to be your best self. It's okay to do what you want to do. Life's about choices, and they might say, you know what? When I was most joyful, I was helping with a local nonprofit, maybe a food pantry. But you know, it's like, well, I can't do that. Well, the income might be a lot lower, but if that's what you're passionate yeah. about, is it really all about money? If that's what you want to do, why is that wrong? Or, gee, maybe I'd like to teach. Well, teachers make almost nothing. It's like, well, that's okay if that's what you want to do. If you want to keep doing what you're doing but think differently, great. But it sounds like you were really an advocate for women leaders, be who they want to be, and you help eradicate that awful word, yeah. should, an obligation. Yes. Does that make sense? 100%. Yes, I really feel you get me and what I'm saying. So it makes 100% sense. And one piece I want to add to it is now we have obviously the additional facet of a lot of women trying to get into more senior roles. And there's obviously the topic around equality between male and female leaders. That's absolutely important to talk about. But I spoke to a female leader, highly successful this morning. And she said, oh, my God, it's so nice to be in a position where I know I can be my most authentic self and actually be successful with it. I thought... I have to be really powerful and strong and almost male. And this is something I want to really 
be an ambassador for as well. Be you. And that's, you know, what you're saying, I think one of the most important things I think we've discussed is, you know, obviously my upbringing is radically different growing up in a family media business. But the last thing I thought I could do is be me. I had to fill a role and be some Rupert Murdoch, take no prisons executive. And I'm more of a reflective advisor, listener kind of person. It was a terrible fit. But, you know, it's just the more that we are us, the more successful we are. You know, it's a misnomer, at least from my perspective, that people in general, men and women, want you to be a certain way. If you're who you are, you'll actually be more successful. And you found that in your own life. So it's like, stop trying to live up to male expectations, people expectations, be who you are. And maybe I'm idealistic and optimistic, but I actually think, if anything, you'll be more successful if you're authentic. Because when you're authentic and vulnerable, it makes you approachable. And if you're approachable, you get on with people. If you get on with people, well, you have a successful team. Does that make sense? Like being who you are doesn't make you less successful. It'll probably make you more successful. Yeah. You know, take a risk. Be you, right? I'm sure you probably tell every person you deal with, right? Be you, take (laughs) a risk. (laughs) No, it might work. Yeah, my slogan is to be the real you. Yes. They just might like you. (laughs) And that is a great opportunity now. Just what was just shared between you guys is a great place for us to begin the process of landing the plane. We're not going to land it yet. The fasten seatbelt, you know, sign is on, but we're, we're starting to, uh, you know, uh, begin our descent. But one of the things I love about interviews that we do on this show is when, because very few people have the experience that Warwick has had. But to have a guest on like you, Kathleen, who basically I was going to jump in and make the point that you made, Warwick, is that you didn't feel like you could be you. Right. You you were born from the moment you were born. Literally, you were the heir apparent to the family media dynasty. You could not be you. Kathleen, you felt that same sort of thing. And you certainly work with people who feel that same sort of thing in different ways. There are listeners out there who are in the same boat, who feel like they male and female They can't be themselves. And one of the things that you guys both talk about, and this is my favorite part of the show, is when two people who haven't met before, Warwick and the guest, talk about the same things in the same ways without ever having compared notes. And what you're both describing is a life of significance. That's what we call it in crucible leadership. And what you're leading your clients to, Kathleen, is significance beyond job description. Mm -hmm. Right. Life beyond job description. That's where significance is found. Success can be found in job description in a certain sense. But significance and success is found in a life that extends beyond, not instead of job description, but beyond the job description. Is that right? Loving this. I want to write that down. Yes. (laughs) I mean, yeah, obviously, we talk a lot about significance here and yeah, I mean, for much of my life, it was all about, you know, making sure that I fit a certain role. And a bit like you, I worked very hard, got good grades in school, did my undergrad at Oxford, worked on Wall Street, then got a grad degree at Harvard Business School. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. check the box, be successful, you know, just do whatever it takes to fit the role. So I was gung-ho on that. But, you know, realizing, you know, I grew up in a very wealthy background as as much status, prestige, and wealth as I guess you could probably want. Maybe there's never enough, but we had a lot of all of the above. We were old money. 
but it's one of the things I've realized is success doesn't satisfy. There's always another rung. There's always somebody, even as a CEO, there's always somebody that's better, quicker, faster, got better numbers, got more market share, got more this, more that. It's like an athlete. You're never going to be the, there's maybe one or two that might be the greatest of all time, whether it's Roger Federer and tennis or whoever, but it's, there aren't too many that's going to say, yep, I was the greatest of all time. Really? Really? So, but what satisfies is significance, which to me is living a life on purpose and helping others. And that's exactly what you're doing. You're using your experience and your background to help other women leaders be the tr- their true selves, which I'm sure fills you with more joy than you could possibly describe, right? 100%. The act of helping people. And that is a life of significance. You wake up every day thinking, who can I help today? You know, what joy is going to come my way as I help unlock people's inner potential, inner selves? Yeah. Does that kind of resonate? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. I, I fulfill my purpose by helping other people fulfill their purposes. But also, it's just so hugely rewarding when you see people grow and develop and stepping out of their shoots, as you know, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's just beautiful. And suddenly, there's a sense of calm inside of me that says, this is all okay. And I realized that actually this morning we are in the middle of the coronavirus outbreak, right? Um, there's quite a bit of crisis around us here. We're on proper lockdown. And I hear a lot of panic. And I see a lot of panic and people becoming more and more nervous. And I realize in myself that I'm super calm. And just like it's, it's going to be okay. And I'm focusing on all the good things. And that is we can give back. We can support others. We can really help people reflect upon their lives because of the situation. If they haven't done it before, this is now a massive opportunity to have, you know, your own breakthrough moments. And that is just more valuable than any money in the banking account. And that's what makes my life now far more purposeful. Absolutely. A life on purpose, focused on others. It brings such joy. And as you say, when we're all stuck at home and sheltering in place this is a time of forced reflection like it or not of um what is my life about and yeah life on purpose focused on others it's really the secret to joy and everybody wants joy and significance in life right so so. um yeah well maybe that realize it maybe you didn't realize it growing up but uh you know there was an inner voice saying i want to be me i want that joy of just freedom and helping others and you have a a wonderful journey right the wall literally has broken down but you know literally (laughs) and figuratively right Right. (laughs) that i'm a smart enough communicator to know when kind of the last word's been spoken that was a great last word talking about from where we started about the you know the the communist germany you know a situation in the the berlin wall and now the the other walls that have have come down in your life and in the lives of your clients. I would be remiss as the runway comes into clearer focus if I did not let you, uh, Kathleen, let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you so that they can um, engage you if they're uh, so inclined. So how can people find you? Yeah, sure. So first of all, there's the website. That's KathleenMerkel.com. You find me on Instagram and Facebook under Kathleen Merkel and LinkedIn, obviously, as well. 
join my Facebook group that's called Legendary Leaders. Um, that's a community for females in leadership. Uh, it doesn't have to be an organizational leadership um, role, but if you want to be a part of a great community, that's the place. And last but not least, I'm a fellow podcaster too. So tune in. Um, I hope my podcast um, episodes really inspire you to live your best life and to liberate yourself from all the shoulds. And the name of it is Legendary Leaders. And I knew, I mean, I knew already that you were a podcaster, but if people are watching this on YouTube, you can tell that all of us are podcasters because we have these really big microphones. <laughs> <Yes>. So <laughs> it's, it's like clearly we're not, like, if we're doing Zoom meetings in the, you know, in the midst of this pandemic, we all have big microphones <laughs> that we're just talking to our friends with because we have them. So I am going to land the plane at that point. And one of the things I want to do for you listeners is give you some takeaways of what Kathleen and Warwick have talked about today. And I think there are three really strong main points from Kathleen's story that I think can benefit you in your own crucible experience. The first is take time to heal after you've had a crucible. You can wait. You truly can wait to hop on the horse again. And the main reason to wait is to heal and to make sure that's the horse you want to ride. That's Kathleen's story. She waited. She didn't go right back into the same thing she was going after. And, and take time to heal after your crucible. That's the first point. The second point, and it was made throughout this conversation uh, by both Warwick and Kathleen, is to lean into the people around you after your crucible experience. They will give you hope. They will give you resilience. They will give you insight. And the kinds of insight they will give you is not only insight into the things that you do well, but insight into those things that you might be able to work on so that you can do them well down the road, even better than you've been doing them. And that can make a huge impact in how you move, as we call this show, beyond your crucible experience. And the final point uh, I want to make sure we hit and summarize for people because we talked about it in detail here is it's okay. It's okay, listener, to reach for the brass ring. Absolutely, it's okay. Warwick said many times he's not anti-success. Kathleen, clearly not anti-success. She's working with very successful clients. But when you reach for that brass ring, make sure it's truly brass. Make sure it's not lead. Make sure it's not only focused on the monetary aspects of things or the professional aspects of things or the job description aspects of things. Make room, make opportunity to help other people and to find what Warwick calls a life of significance and what I can tell Kathleen agrees is a life of true significance. That will wrap us up on this episode of Beyond the Crucible. Warwick and I would like to ask you, listener, to do a, a favor for us, and that is on the podcast app that you're listening to this right now, if you click subscribe, that will ensure a couple of things. One, it will ensure that you'll never miss an episode of our podcast. You'll never miss an episode of Beyond the Crucible. And the second thing it will do, it will allow us to reach more people with truly inspiring stories like what Kathleen has shared here today. I have to say to you, Kathleen, before we sign off, that uh, I've done this with Warwick now about uh, 20 times we've done interviews with people. I have never seen him more relaxed or perhaps more inspired in the context of a conversation than he was here in talking with you. And that is a, a testament to both your experience and your story, but the way you articulate it and the hope you offer. You guys are singing from the exact same page of the songbook. 
when it comes to that. So thank you for that. And uh, listeners, thank you for spending this last hour with us. And remember, yes, crucible experiences come up in your lives. Yes, they're difficult, but they are not the end of your story. Far from it. They can be, as Kathleen described, as Warwick has described, uh, and they're both living proof of this. Crucible experiences can be, if you learn the lessons of them, if you apply the lessons of them, and you point yourself in a direction that allows you to move beyond them, they can be the start of an entirely new chapter in your life. And entirely, you can discover the true you, as Kathleen did, the true Kathy, as she said. You can describe the true you, or find the true you, by pointing yourself toward a life of significance.